If you haven't registered for Connect yet, you're nuts. Time is running out, seats are running out. Click the Connect icon in your Pioneer X Pharmacy software, register today, and transform your pharmacy this June at Catalyst Connect. We are on a mission. A mission to save and revitalize independent pharmacy. On the Catalyst Pharmacy Podcast, you'll get actionable business advice. Hear stories from industry leaders. And share a laugh or two with us. Fuel your passion for pharmacy. One conversation at a time. So, Mr. David Bailey, um, I have known you for several years. You've been in the pharmacy industry for quite a long time. You've always been a bright, shiny, happy um, face on the Trecho floor. Um, as long as I've been in the industry, which, um, but I mean, tell us about you. How did you get started in the industry? How long have you been in the pharmacy industry? Uh, really around 40 years now. Um, I was a football coach and one of my former coaching colleagues had gotten into the industry and he got me an interview and next thing I knew, I was moving to Huntsville, Alabama. So uh, we we lived in Birmingham at the time, and so okay, started my career in Northern Alabama. Okay, now was then that was with the because uh, when I'm when I met you, that you were working with the um, the prenatals company. Yeah, that that was my. I've only worked for three companies. Okay, but that was my last. That was my last company. It was a women's health company, and we had built the prenatals. Uh, as a distribution channel for the NDA products that we had coming. We had three NDA products approved within a span of three years. So mm-hmm. we had launched the prenatals that kind of open up the wholesalers and the retailers to our products. Okay. And like I, I remember, and so the other, the, this is the other thing interesting I want to bring up is that um, I distinctly remember getting an email from you going, it's been a wonderful years, I'm, I'm retiring, and then three months later, I see you on a trade show floor. So what makes somebody decide, I'm going to retire and send everybody a Dear John letter? <laughs> That's a good question. Um, I did retire from the product side, I guess you'd say. Okay. And now I'm on the service side. Um, the thing that intrigued me was uh, I didn't want to consult with another company that had products because I'd been there and done that. I can't remember the products I launched, probably more than 40. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, uh, I, I, I was intrigued by the challenge of the, the technology, the, the product, the problem that was coming, and the company that was offering me this was had a tremendous solution okay. that would help retail pharmacy wholesalers and manufacturers along the along the way we make sure your dscsa problems are solved so we we manage or a solution provider on the back end for retail pharmacy we we work with a lot of different pharmacy software companies our systems are compliant with many many different softwares okay. and so we're a back-end solution provider for retail pharmacy to help them manage their day-to-day DSCSA reporting and compliance issues. Okay. And how many pharmacies do you work with a year? We've onboarded currently 
since I've been with them, they've onboarded about 5,000 pharmacies. We've got about 10,000 more to go okay. in the next couple of months. We do all the back-end services for Kroger, Giant Eagle, okay. um, a lot of chains as well. As in, it's a perfect tool for independents because the independent is focused on their business and taking care of their customers and their, their patients. And we so we do all the back-end for them and it only it takes about 10 to 15 minutes a week of their staff time. And many times the tech, the pharmacy, pharmacy technician can, can do that. They'll get up there. We have a portal that they go into and then they, they look at the errors we've corrected for them on the back end. If there is a suspect product, we alert the pharmacy staff to quarantine that product. And then we try to res- resolve what the issues were that kicked it out or made it look suspect. Okay. Interesting. Like, what kind of flags make, I mean, how do you get these notifications that the product is suspect and needs to be set aside? We have all the data feeds for the pharmacies that we provide services for. Okay. So we provide the data feeds uh, on a daily basis. We have an operations team of about 32 individuals that onboard pharmacies that do these, um, the management of this on a day-to-day basis. Interesting. So we go into pharmacy from football, and uh, and you kind of like drop that little a, Easter egg there. Was there. A lot of, so. there, was a, there was a lot of uh, there was a lot of former football. There, I, I, how I do you it, go I, from football to pharmacy? Your side note, side note. I hate okay. to chase a rabbit. I um, a lot of former football players, especially in Alabama, had been pharmaceutical reps, and and there was a very outstanding much, much better than I was, a guy named Zeke Smith. Zeke Smith was an Outland Trophy winner okay. on the 57 Auburn cha- National Championship team. Zeke was a defensive lineman, and Zeke was – that's the guy I followed. Mm-hmm. So it was like uh, – at that time, we had a lot of trimenic and a lot of cough and cold-type products, and we had these things called fire sales. You either sell it or you're fired, you know. <laughs> and okay. Zeke was Zeke – left the territory he stuffed i don't know how many thousands of bottles of trimenic in pharmacies i mean I, I all i did was write returns for the first six months i was a rep it was like oh, no. I, if, I, if i hit my hands on zeke i would choke him but i know he would beat me up because he, he was much bigger than i am but uh and i i got to work with a guy named dennis holman dennis holman was a had out played at alabama and played for the the Dallas Cowboys. I mean, I got to work with some neat guys. I really did. It was a, it was just a, a lot of old coaches that were competitive that got along well with doctors. And of course, the reason an Auburn student was very, we were like a hero in, in, in Alabama because 90% of the pharmacists in Alabama had graduated from Auburn. So, so that was the, the I was up, I was up, uphill battle, you know, but, um, so you coached at well. Auburn or? I was recruited by Alabama and Ole Miss, but I played at Jacksonville State. Um, played okay. for a guy named Charlie Charlie Pell years ago, but that was a long, long time ago. I uh, had a knee injury, got redshirted. I'd already set out a year gaining weight. Didn't want to be 26 when I graduated, so I went to Coach Pell and just said, "Hey, I'm transferring to a at that time it's a teacher's college called University of Montevallo, and Montevallo is right about an hour below Birmingham. Okay, and so I was a that's. I got my degree and coached football for eight years after that. At Ole Miss? Yeah, I, was, I almost signed with Ole Miss. I mean, I came real close to signing 
with Ole Miss, but um, Bob Lomanek is a huge Ole that, Miss fan. At that day and time, they did, there was no scholarship limits, mm-hmm. so you had to you, if you were recruited and you signed, you had to beat out about eight people to play. So I could see the handwriting on the wall, and I didn't want to just wait till somebody went down or beat out seven or eight people. So I mm-hmm. I had a much better opportunity to play at Jacksonville State, and so that's what I did until I blew out my knee real bad, my right knee. But um, it was fun. It was fun coaching. The competitive the competitive spirit transitioned to pharmaceutical sales easily. Um, I, and and the, the school I'd gone to at the University of Mono Valley, if you were a PE major, you were in biology and and kinesiology with all the pre pre med students. So I was very when I when I went through training at Sandoz or now in Novartis, okay. it was like a big it was like a big review to me because I'd already had this stuff in college, you know. hmm Interesting. So you've been in the industry forty years, so you've seen some stuff and you probably have some stories. Oh man, I tell you, I've I've been in distribution a lot. I've had I've had trucks stolen. I I've had trucks stolen out of customs. Uh, oh my I mean, goodness. you, you name it. I've, I've worked in institutions. I've been mooned. I've been proposed to. <laughs> I've, I, I've had some. Wait, I, wait, wait. I, Let's go back. You were mooned. <laughs> I worked Bryce Hospital in, in Tuscaloosa, and Bryce is a always oh, been there for 150 years. It's okay. a mental institution in Tuscaloosa, and uh, as I was walking up the steps, this over in the the bushes, this uh, gal, did, you know, and they're chronic schizophrenics. And so um, okay. I just, you know, noticed a big moon, you know, shining me right in the eyes. And I was like, good grief. <laughs> but uh, it was an, it was a neat experience selling antipsychotics. And I'm assuming the proposal is, is not your wife now. <laughs> no, 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 no. And how long have you guys been married? Almost 47 years. July the 10th will be uh, 47 years. And the reason it's July the 10th is because while I was coaching at the time, that's about the only week I had open. So when I proposed to her, I said, hey, can you marry me July the 10th? Because that's not, that's the only week I've got off, you know. So what's the secret? Y'all, almost 50 years. What's the secret? Uh, We don't take ourselves too seriously. Um... Our faith plays a real important role mm-hmm. in our marriage. I, you know, as far as realizing who's responsible for what, um, I try not to uh, be too selfish, even though that's gotten me in a lot of trouble. Uh, the travel uh, was tough on us, but uh, you know, I, I, as I got later in my career, I tried to minimize that or take her, take her with me. And then when I, I had a Southwest Companion pass, so she went. She went on a lot of trips with me, and that really made it uh, go well. But I'd say humor is the, is a big, big part. Uh, I could see and, that. And, go- and golf. We play golf together. So what are some interesting things that, as far as change in the industry, that you've seen that really stuck out to you that you're like, wow, I've I've been able to witness this? Because I know that I have have not been in the industry as long as you have. I've... Um, 15 years in with Pioneer and I mean, just how much it's changed and all of the new partnerships that have just kind of come out of the woodwork so far as these new products and new services um, that weren't even a thing 20 years ago. 
I remember when I was first hired, my boss told me, well, you'll never have to pay for a prescription again. I said, what do you mean? And he said, well, you just swap out samples for any script that any, and you'll get to you get the script free. And it's like, you can get, you can, nowadays you get jailed for that. You know, it's like, uh, so uh, I, I, I started in the wild, wild west in, in the early eighties when you could, that was the norm. I'd say access has been the hardest thing for manufacturers, for their reps to have access to healthcare providers, even access to pharmacists. You know, in the old days, I would go behind the counter. That's I didn't drink coffee at the time, but that's about the only way to get time with the pharmacist is that back then is just stand behind the counter, have a cup of coffee with them and flip. They would let you flip through the hard copy prescriptions. So you'd get to see firsthand who wrote for your product. It was you good to go back and check the shelves and check the bottles. And I can remember in one of the state miss, uh, mental hospitals, East Mississippi, East Mississippi State Hospital in Meridian, go by on the pharmacy counter and check. The, and there were bottles of 5,000. And you'd check, and uh, it was no, it was not uncommon to write up an order for $30,000. And that was a lot of money in, in those days. I mean, so it was just, you know, access to the customer has been the biggest, I think, I, that's changed over time. Uh, the role of a rep is just a, you. I mean, there's a lot of reps that are good, don't take me wrong, uh, but a lot of them, you just feel like they're UPS drivers. Uh, pharmacy, the role of pharmacy has really, thank goodness it's increased. I hate it, it was COVID that did it, but pharmacy provides a tremendous community. The smaller the community, the bigger impact that retail pharmacists has. Mm-hmm. Cause Absolutely. By, by default, they're the, they're the primary care provider, you know, or the triage. And so um, I just think that retail pharmacy finally is getting the recognition for the services they provide. And I, I'm glad that they're doing a lot more immunizations. Mm-hmm. And, I was about to say, I, immunizations used to not be a thing. You used to only be able to get it from your doctor. Oh, uh, now yeah, the... absolutely. But uh, immunizations and just the services, the, uh, the med management, medication management has is, is really been a, a good thing that retail pharmacy and cognitive services. I know we've been bantering that since gosh, over 90, but um, the retail pharmacist should be remunerated, paid for the services. I know in some states you've got pharmacists that can prescribe contraceptives. And but the issue has been in like some of the northwestern states, well, who's going to reimburse them for it? You know, is it a flat fee? Is it a cash only that time? But I think in Oregon that they're kind of doing some good things is requiring third parties to reimburse the pharmacy uh, for the services they provide on diagnosis and uh, contraceptive care. And also the, the ability to bring in like telehealth in the last few years. So telemedicine, it, yes, mm-hmm. is a great augmentation. Uh, I saw some data. I think Doug Long, Doug's a good friend of mine. Gosh, I played a lot of golf with Doug. I, I, owe, him, I owe him at Arnold Palmer Golf Show because he's a big Arnold Palmer fan. And okay. my wife and I volunteered at the Arnold Palmer tournament a few weeks ago. And so, uh, um, but that's aside. But Doug, Doug said that he has some data on the telemedicine. It, it did. It did grow during the pandemic, but it's kind of mm-hmm. 
kind of leveled out and, and peaked. You know, at a, yeah. I, I don't know, fifteen percent or something like that. I can't remember the total number of, of visits or care, but it, it is it has been a big help for physicians. I know for either diagnosis of some diseases or symptoms, and then follow up visits has been a good thing for follow up. So you said three companies. So the the prenatals and now Adversure. What was the third company? Uh, the the first company was um, it was Dorsey Laboratories when I first started, which was part of Sandoz. Sandoz Sandoz was a Swiss company that was branded in Basel, Switzerland. Uh, so I worked for Sandoz. Sandoz and Siba Geige merged in the early nineties to form Novartis. And so I was Dorsey, Sandoz, Novartis. So I went through two different, I guess you'd call roll-ins to a parent company, Novartis. That was the majority of my career. I spent 15 years with them. Teva was two different acquisitions too because I left Novartis, went with a small regional coal company um, that had Desi products. This was before Guafenison was Mucinex. And uh, Adams at the time went and got a patent on um, Mucinex or Guafenison to, to name Mucinex. But a lot of little Desi companies uh, with pre-1962 ingredients would have products. And so it was a company called Wakefield in Atlanta, Georgia. And I worked out a co-marketing agreement with them with Claritin. Uh, and so we grew from 10 million to 40 million sold to IVAX, uh, no, we went from 4 million to 10 million, sold out to IVAX in Miami for 40 million. I got rolled into IVAX at the time and started, really started the IVAX, what is now Teva Respiratory, or it is um, acquired a QVAR from 3M. I, I, we launched a, couple, a product called Albuterol, HFA. Had to go to Ireland a lot for that plant over there to increase production. But back in the 2000, 2000, 2000, 2005, the FDA had implemented what was called the Montreal Protocol and products that depleted the ozone with the mm -hmm. CFC, the chloral form. And you know, used to inhalers had a real cold yeah. uh, spray that you could feel it real on the back of the throat. But HFA yeah, and so is they a would soft, do the chambers with it. So H that way. HFA is a softer, warmer puff. And so mm -hmm. all these. Rescue inhalers, Proventil, um, Proair, uh, Ventolin, all these had to be converted to HFA uh, gas for the propellant because HFA doesn't deplete the ozone. So we, uh, this is another true story. One night at dinner on the back of a napkin, you know, you hear this a lot, but I'm, this is the honest to goodness truth. A guy named Jesus Leo was the president of our division at the time, and we, we wrote two criteria on the back of that napkin. Whoever makes the most can win, and whoever engages retail pharmacy will win. Okay. That was the two. That was the two criteria. And so I went to Ireland a lot to to drive our plant from three million units a year to thirty million units a year, and that was a lot of fun. <laughs> but the Irish the Irish people are fun to work with. They're great people. They really are, and hardworking. Um, but we we contracted with every retail pharmacy that would talk to us. And when the biggest provider of those CFC products was a division of Shearing called Warwick, 
Warwick Labs. And when Warwick sent out their discontinuation letter, I got called by the top 15 chains in America wanting to see me the next week. And so we we, we went on a I can remember walking out of Walmart and, and the guy the, my boss looked at me and said, did we just undersell them? And I said, Patrick, I said, you always want to underpromise and overdeliver because they wanted a hundred thousand units a month. And I, I was on allocation for nine months. I said, we can't, we can't give them that many. And so uh, we ag finally agreed on 50,000 a month, but we went from, that product went from almost in two years from zero to a billion dollar product. And then that's when I took a package at Teva and, and uh, thought I was retiring for the first time. But the thing that made it great was my old Wakefield options that converted to IVAX and now converted to Teva stock was um, at $58 a share. Please tell me the napkin is framed in someone's office somewhere. No, it's, no, it's not. I wish I, wish I, I, wish I had uh, foresight uh, to, to see that, but I, I've been encouraged by many people to, you need to write that story uh, for Harvard Business Review. And I said, you know, I mean, it, it, it was just, a, it was a generic market that flipped to brand. And so we, we launched Pro Air. We, we originally launched Pro Air without a brand name because the FDA shot down three names we submitted. You know, we, so we finally just launched it as albuterol sulfate HFA. And when they finally agreed about that, that, that product was on the market about three months and they finally approved the name Pro Air. But that, that is, um, that is a tremendous, uh, you know, you don't get, that's, that was a career. That was a career opportunity, probably the most fun I, I did. Now, while at Novartis, I was in a, I was a hospital rep and I was selling transplant drugs and the transplantation market was a lot of fun, but that, that respiratory market and that albuterol market was probably the most fun because I got to see firsthand and, and negotiate contracts with Walgreens and CBS so, and uh, all the independent co-ops out there. I mean, everybody. I got We got to work with everybody. It, that happened in 2000, between 2005 and 2009. I can remember because... I reported to Dr. Frost, Dr. Philip Frost, who's a billionaire and owned IVAX. He had a company called Key, he sold to Sharing, and then he had a company called IVAX, he sold to Teva. He became chairman of the board at Teva. But uh, in, in the 05 budget, he had put he had put the launch of, of albuterol in our budget. So we had to stock it in that fourth quarter. It was in our budget. So that's why we launched it. We don't have a brand name. And so we we just launched it red, white, and blue carton is albuterol sulfate HFA. And everybody thought it was a generic, but it was it was really a it was really a brand, a five oh five B two Okay. That brand. Okay, albuterol. so Ireland. I I need to hear more about because it's on my bucket list to go. Oh, beautiful place. Go in May or June. May or June and South Southeast Ireland gets a lot less rain and the water Waterford's water you you fly into Dublin and Waterford's about two and a half hours southeast on the southeast coast and um we had a plant in waterford ireland that plant's still there that's the plant that still makes a pro air today for teva um beautiful old old play i mean castles built in like the 11th century 
So it's just as old as, you know, but our, we want to go back and, um, and also do Scotland, do a few, few visits in Scotland as well. Okay. So we've attempted to retire twice. <laughs> and I'm only part, I'm, I'm part, I'm a only part-time consultant. Uh, I've done a good, I think a decent job of balancing my work time with my grandkids and travel with my wife and uh, uh, my golf game. But so after the, like the heartfelt email that I and others in the industry got, why did you decide to come out of retirement less than three months after that email? Uh, it was really about six months. Um, but uh, I think the intriguing thing was to, uh, the guy that, that founded AdvaSures, a guy named Randy Hoggle, and Randy's a former Eli Lilly guy. He had worked at HDMA back in the day. Uh, and he was a contractor for the FDA. And he actually wrote the, the software, the, the program that the FDA used for their small pharmacy study uh, on DSCSA compliance. And so that the that intrigued me because he's he knew that retail pharmacy would need the most help with this. And seeing that and knowing retail pharmacy like I did, it's always good to go in with the, you know they're taxed right now, they're overwhelmed right now, and so go, to go in with a solution that does all this on the back end for them and it only requires a few minutes of their time a week, it just, it, was just, it just felt like I was doing something good for retail pharmacy that really needed um, a, a pat on the back, you know. Nice. So you're only part-time with AdVisure. I'm only part-time now. You know, I, I'm on call as yeah, as a bit, but uh, I do help out. From I try to introduce Randy to industry, um, and so I've helped him with a couple of um, key contracts that would open up, um, you know, business for us. And so mm-hmm. uh, I, I still get to see my old friends, and so it's um, it's the best of both worlds. So what kind of, Jeff loves to talk um, AI in the future of pharmacy. So what kind of things do you see as the future of pharmacy? I hope the future of pharmacy is providing more clinical and diagnostic services. They can't make money filling scripts, but there's still, scripts are still going to be needed. Um, I really believe the future of pharmacy is in diagnostic and clinical services that they get remunerated for the work that they, and the training, uh, as you often hear, I want to practice at the top of my, my, right. um, education or the top of my top degree. Of my and that's really, mm-hmm. that's really what I hope retail pharmacy can, can provide is the, uh, the compensation that they receive from diagnostic and clinical services. It does provide a tremendous supplement for what they're not getting. You know, let's say there's a, there's a shortage of primary care or it's months to see a primary care. And so they can be a good stopgap. I really think that a pharmacy that has a tremendous relationship with physicians in their area is just, they're just a vital part of the of health the care. Uh, it's, it's, mm-hmm. it's about continuity of care. It really is. So with the connections that you have in the industry, and everything you've seen, what would be your 
predictor for the next big thing that comes around for pharmacy. Like if you had to make, if you, if you had to make a good guesswork, if you were a betting man or um, what do you see as the next big stride for independent pharmacy? That's a good question. Um, I think, and you've seen this with chains, with the, with the big box stores and, and chains, um, to get a partner, whether that's a physician or a practitioner, PA, to get a full-time partner in that pharmacy that can help them with diagnostics and clinical services. Um, I, I know I, when I speak to pharmacy schools, and I've done that many times, uh, I try to, you, you be a triage, and you make go out and meet the providers, the physicians in your area, and you're a, become a team together but if a pharmacy can afford uh, to bring in a nurse practitioner or a PA, I think it's going to be a, a great extension to their practice. I really do. I think that in a small town or an underserved area of primary care, I just think that's what retail pharmacy has to do uh, because you, you see it with Village MD, with Walgreens, and Minute Clinic with CVS. I just think diagnostics, and clinical services within the retail pharmacy, it's gonna. If I had to bet, it, it would it would spread into um, independent pharmacy as well. And uh, the tools that can help them, I've seen a couple. The tools that can help them do that uh, will be a great, great part of, of putting this together. So I know we talked about. You mentioned, and we had talked to the girls on the pod, on a pod, on one of our episodes that was kind of getting this passed along the ability to prescribe uh, birth control in the pharmacy. Do you see that coming across to more states soon? Yes. Uh, when I was at, at TXMD, my last company, Therapeutics MD, uh, which by the way is all the products have been sold off to Maine, an Australian company. Um, but I I think that. At that time, I can't remember, six states, six states that had the legislation in place where the pharmacist could prescribe a contraceptive, but 15 other states, it was pending. Uh, it was about to pass. And so I think, I think ultimately 20, 30 states are going to have the ability for pharmacists to prescribe contraceptives and other, other things that could be, that, that is needed. And uh, the key there is, again, once they have the privilege to prescribe, then they, they go for a period of a year or two with just a flat fee for the services or does third parties start reimbursing for those services. And I think both things are happening. I think third parties getting pressure to reimburse for clinical services. Um, and um, I, I just think that it's going to be revenue. Or pharmacy. I know in Idaho, we had talked to Rite Aid about uh, their 14 stores in Idaho. And um, uh, we had some initial discussions with them on key trainings for, we had a year-long contraceptive at the time. So we had some programs in place that would help educate the retail pharmacist on uh, what was available in vaginal ring contraceptives. Is it monthly? Do they need an annual 
uh, mm-hmm. you know, that type of thing. So besides um, providing compliance services, what are some other ways that you think that pharmacies can improve their compliance? What are some other tools that either Adversure offers or um, that you would suggest? Uh, validating their trading partners is going to be a constant, ongoing thing. Uh, you have to have you know val- you have to make sure the partner you're working with has a valid current license. We have a database of over thirty thousand real time uh, licenses updated in real time on a daily basis, federal and or state. Um, the other thing is interconnectivity. And there's there's ten different things in the law that have to be carried out. There's ten requirements. Eight, nine, and ten go, go more toward inter, describe interoperability between a chain and a wholesaler or a chain and a direct manufacturer they're buying from. We can help with interoperability. We and that interoperability is going to give them the the ease of reporting. Uh, in other words, if the FDA or a state auditor wants to report, then it's seamless. It's just done through the connectivity that they have at the retail pharmacy terminal with whoever wants it. And a lot of these audits are going to be done virtual, what we call tabletop. A lot of these extra inspectors that the FDA has hired or state board of pharmacy has hired, a lot of these audits are not going to be in person. They're going to be virtual. And they're going to give them 48 hours for what they requested and the big advantage we have is we've never had a client fail on inspection and we can turn this sucker around. We can turn it around in just a matter of hours. The documents the FDA wants, uh, they may go back, you know, because you have to hold it six years, but uh, we already have a repository of serial numbers that goes back to even before. We have data back to 2015. So I can assume we already kind of touched on this a little bit, but I'm kind of curious. Um, so your wife, y'all have been together 47 years. How did mm-hmm. y'all meet? Kids? Oh, uh, And what did she met, do? She was dating a fraternity brother of mine. And uh, uh, so over time, we became friends. My senior year, we had a... And the, the other thing, at this, at this college that was uh, preparing you to be a teacher and I was preparing to be a coach, you had to take a dance class every single semester. And so she was in my dance class and she wasn't my partner, but every once in a while you'd have to change partners. And so um, we'd have dance class together and go eat lunch together. And that's kind of when we migrated from friend to relationship. So you stole uh, her from a fraternity brother is what I'm hearing. Oh, I stole a lot of people. <laughs> uh, no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. She, she, um, she's a neat person. She's she's probably, as we say in coaching, I'll kick my coverage. You know, meaning she's much better looking than I should be deserving. You know that type thing. Um, but she is a very Cindy's a very uh, giving person, very talented. She's a speech therapist, great dancer, great dancer, and so. Um, we, do, we have a lot of fun at weddings, uh, you know what I mean. So That's interesting. I didn't know that it's only if, like if you're going into like coaching, they're requiring you to have a dance class? No, that, that, this particular school had that u- unique requirement of okay. a, dance, a dance class every semester, heavy, heavy science, 
heavy science, biology, kinesiology. And like I said, most of my class was pre-med, pre-med you know, uh, students. So uh, when I went through the training at Novartis, it was like a big review for me because I'd already dissected a rhesus monkey. I knew the the blood supply, the nerve supply of that entire body. And so it's like, I, I should have gone on and just went, went back to med school, but uh, my only two my only two choices, I, I would have been a dermatologist or a, uh, an allergist, you know, something like that. I didn't want to do, I didn't want to be an orthopedic surgeon or cardiovascular surgeon, so I... Yeah. <laughs> I can tell you my, my, my time and my health is better uh, being a pharmaceutical rep, absolutely. And and what about your kids? Um, I You had mentioned, I think I talked to you about one of your children on a, on a show floor one time. Yeah, I've got three kids. Uh, our oldest, Ginger, is a, a te- she's a children's director at a church here in Orlando, and she's got three kids, uh, 12, 10, and 8. And Laurie, uh, who just left our house, they spent the night with us last night, uh, they live in Mount Dora, just north of Orlando. They got three kids with a fourth on the way. That's why I said almost, almost seven grandchildren. She's du- she's due next month with her fourth. And then uh, DJ David Jr. We had we had our kids were spaced apart. We didn't we didn't intend it this way, but uh, we had kids in our twenties, our thirties, and our forties. And we had DJ when we were I was forty one. He's at he, he's on staff at the University of Tennessee. Um, in their athletic department. He does director of marketing for uh, Tennessee's um, what they call fan experience at football, basketball, and baseball. His primary is football and uh, and men's baseball. Okay. Interesting. And, uh, he's, uh, had a, he's had an interesting, a, interesting career, and he's he's not married, but he's, he's dating a local TV reporter there in Knoxville, and She's in the Miss Tennessee pageant. We got we got already got our tickets to our to, to Memphis, we, uh, the, the Miss Tennessee pageant, and so hopefully okay. we can can make that and maybe be Miss America one of these days. But I that'd be know, awesome. It's, uh, it's it's weird watching this kid's had a great college career. He was mm-hmm. a mascot at Florida State. He went to undergraduate at Boston. Had a phenomenal career in graduate school there with. Northeastern. Then he coached. I mean, he went over to Washington State, where Mike Leach was, and did all their marketing there for Washington State. So he'd been all over the country. Yeah, we're just glad. Like we're glad he's back in the southeast. You know, gosh. So besides golf, what does Mister David Bailey like to do for fun? What's also in the hobby book? Oh uh, gosh, golf is probably my only hobby. I love I love cars. My father was in the automobile business, so I would love to collect cars. But my wife won't. We don't have the space, and so uh, I love to go to car shows. I guess you'd say I love uh, Barry Jackson. I love Meekum. Um, I love just I love old cars, but I also love unique unique cars. You know, so um, I view cars more as an investment than a you know. My, my wife would view it as a waste of money, but I, I view it as an investment. So my husband's currently doing like once a year, him and a friend are hitting golf courses. Um, what all, like, what would you say your favorite course is that I could pass along to him? 
that's easy. My favorite course, and we're going up there for our 50th. We're taking all our kids there. Uh, the Greenbrier in, in Greenbrier, West Virginia, White Sulphur Springs, okay. West Virginia. The Greenbrier is my favorite, bar none. Okay. Because I think this year his list is going to be um, Coeur d'Alene. Have you ever played Coeur d'Alene? No, I haven't. But uh, Troy Jordan, a good friend of mine, I couldn't attend uh, the Dakota Drug Trade Show, but T- Troy went and just raved about that golf course. He, he says it's a great course. And I love Coeur d'Alene's a beautiful area. I've been through Coeur d'Alene. All right. So closing words of wisdom for any young pharmacy professionals in the industry. What are your closing words of wisdom? Gosh, bust your butt the first couple of years. That's the hardest. Always be nice to people and don't take yourself too serious because, um, you know, you have, have fun out there because most people are good people. Most people can be trusted and just do a good job of follow-up. Most people that promise things just don't follow up. And it's like, I mean, all you got to do is follow back up with them, say, you asked for this and here it is, or you asked for this and I don't know, but if I were you, I'd go look, you know, just point them in the right direction because basically it's all sales is solving a need. Some people that know they don't have a need, but, you know, all sales is and anything. It's just solving a need. And also what you had mentioned earlier, laughter is the best medicine. Uh, laughter is the best medicine. Even guys that I play golf with, um, we were playing with two younger guys the other day, and they getting up tight. And I said, look, hey, we're having a good time, you know, and if you want to play a game on the back nine, you know, we'll, we'll play a game, but it's no money, okay? It's just pride. And so I think we beat them so bad, they finally <laughs> – the seventh hole on the oh, backside, no. they probably just gave up. <laughs> but but uh, we were playing for the senior tees. And I, I try to take advantage of my age playing from the senior tees because that does help out a lot. Well, I'll definitely not be going on a golf course with you because I'm like a D minus <laughs> golfer. <laughs> well, so. I, we're fortunate. We're fortunate enough to, in, in Orlando, mm-hmm. we live, I live in Lake Nona right across the street from Lake Nona Country Club. So, we're in an area where there's a lot of golf courses and there's a lot of a lot of serious professional golfers. So it's it could be intimidating some days out there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, David, thank you so much for joining us today, and we've hit our hour. So um, I look. For, I guess we'll see you at some of the yeah, wholesaler shows this always, summer, or I'll, I'll be at a few meetings the rest of this year, and uh, definitely NCPA. I'll probably see you there. But uh, we do we do have a big initiative going and. With, with independent retail pharmacy. And so we're always trying to uh, work those shows. Fantastic. I will well, look forward to seeing you this uh, in uh, NCPA for sure. But um, thank you so much for joining us, David. Okay. Thanks again for the, the time and uh, great talking with you. Thanks. Bye-bye. Thank you for watching the Catalyst Pharmacy Podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please like, subscribe, and follow us wherever you get your podcast. Give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts to help us reach more pharmacy professionals like you.